The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good, Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, he and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Dusty White. I'm one of the pastors here at Cormdale. It's a joy to be with you. This summer, we have picked up our Psalm series. If you weren't with us last week, we began journeying through the Psalms again, and today we find ourselves in Psalm 34. But first, I need to tell you a story. Uh, As a kid, I grew up going to my friend's cabin And uh, I was actually with that friend uh, yesterday at his daughter's high school graduation. This is a fantastic picture of me uh, on the left. I think my metabolism has changed a little bit. Uh, this, This group of friends and I, as we were headed up to the cabin one summer, we piled into somebody's Honda Accord. And uh, once we got to the cabin, it was one of these guys' great idea that we would go to Taylor's Falls and begin cliff jumping. So... We are on our way there. I'm not letting on to my intrepidation at all. 
Uh, they know me pretty well. Uh, but we're headed there. I'm not letting on to my intrepidation. I'm one of those guys that thinks humans should be humans and cliffs should be cliffs. And we should just do what the Lord told us to do and probably leave each other alone. But we arrive. We make our way up there. We're advised if I've blacked out a lot of this on purpose, but I, I remember there being other people up there advising us to keep our shoes on because we were going to be jumping off of 40-foot cliffs. And you needed your shoes on because when you hit the water, the water was hard and it would be wise to have shoes on for the water's sake and then also as you walked your way back up the rocky terrain. A couple of these guys had already been there. So we arrive, they just are so excited. They start jumping off right away. You know, three of these guys, they're just adrenaline junkies. I'm not one of those guys. I have a motorcycle and that's about it. Uh, but these guys are all in. So they start jumping. <clears throat> and one of the things uh, that happened is pretty soon, you know, they're on their second, their third jump. It's me and one other guy that are just a little bit nervous. And after a while, you realize, okay, I have to do this. Not only do you have to jump off this cliff, but you also have to get a running start to miss the other cliff that is below this cliff. So not only did you just have to jump, but you actually had to run and jump. So they have caught on to my intrepidation at this point. And so they begin chanting uh, my high school nickname, which I will not chant for you here. <laughs> and so I back up like them. I'm backing up. They're chanting. This has got to be it. I got to do this. I begin to run. So I run and I'm going to jump and I buckle. The chanting stops. <laughs> Two of those guys are also preachers, lead pastors of churches. They also have told this story, I think probably a little bit more accurately <laughs> than me from their perspective. But to this day, those guys are still wondering how I made it. I do remember making it. I'm here to tell you that I made it. I missed the little cliff that you had to get past, I think probably just barely. I do remember pushing off the bottom uh, of the little ravine that we were jumping into to come back up. And to this day, when I recount with those buddies, my chest tightens and uh, I am just gripped with fear. That is not my thing, okay? And I was with one of those guys this weekend. We were talking about that and I was saying, hey, I think I'm gonna tell this story in my sermon. He was like, you have to. And he was just so excited. He, like one of the most momentous things of his life as well. And to this day, you know, I'm a dad now. There's this store called Shields. We go to Shields. My kids want to ride the Ferris wheel. And I'm like, I don't think we have time. I just, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think we have time. And so every now and then I do try to just, you know, stomach the Ferris wheel at Shields. <clears throat> so I jumped once and that is it. How about for you? What are some of your most fearful moments? Better yet, what are some of your greatest or some of your deepest fears? Psalm 34 gives us this big idea this morning. Here we are. Fearing the Lord can deliver me from fear. It's one of the things that we see in Psalm 34. Check out verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. 
Verse nine, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This psalm wants us to understand the fear of the Lord. In fact, throughout the scriptures, this phrase gets used a lot. So what is it? What does the Bible want us to know about the fear of the Lord? It seems to me, I don't know about you, but one of the goals that I have in life is to figure out how to eliminate fear. So when, it, when, we, when we talk about accumulating fear, fearing the Lord, that seems like a step backwards, not forward to me. But the scriptures use this phrase, the fear of the Lord, to summarize a healthy and mature response to God. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. So the fear of the Lord here is certainly, this certainly seems inviting, right? And it's even good for children in this proverb. Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. So according to this Psalm, if we want to be wise, apparently it begins with fearing the Lord. Isaiah 33, verse six, he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. So here in Isaiah, the fear of the Lord is a prized possession. Friends, God is holy, so the fear of the Lord is to stand in obedience, reverence, and awe of him. He's holy, and our life with God is always responsive. God makes himself known to us, and we are to respond. The fear of the Lord is a response to God's holiness and character. Listen to Ed Welch. You have probably heard definitions of holy, such as consecrated, set apart, and pure. But it is difficult to find a synonym that does it justice. That's because holy is not so much an attribute of God as it is a way to talk about his essential nature. No matter what God reveals about himself, he is revealing his holiness. His love is holy, his kindness is holy, his sternness is holy. The reason the fear of the Lord is such a robust response to God is because it is a response to his holiness, and his holiness pervades every one of his attributes. Think about God's holiness this way, he goes on to say. It means he is incomparable. God cannot be compared to anything in creation. Your challenge is to clear your mind of all human references. There is no human being who can perfectly blend kindness and sternness justice and mercy, love and strength, compassion and anger. So the fear of the Lord is a response to who God is. The fear of the Lord is me understanding that I am always right now living my life quorum Deo, which means before the face of God. The fear of the Lord is a disposition of reverence, honor and humility before God in light of who he is. So fearing the Lord can deliver me from fear. You can think about it this way. The only thing that can dislodge fear is a greater fear. The only thing that can dislodge fear is a greater fear. Here's what I mean. If you're trained in medicine, then you're not afraid of a shift at the clinic, right? If you've parented a couple of children, you're not afraid of a few neighbor kids coming over for lunch. If 
you happen to be good with cars or you're a mechanic, when your check engine light goes on or your friend's check engine light, no alarm to you. If you've driven a school bus, you're not afraid of driving a pickup truck, right? If you've been a lifeguard, you're not afraid of the pool. And if you put together Ikea furniture, for instance, you can basically do anything. <laughs> if you really want to fight your fears, you'll have to learn from someone who captures your attention in such a way that your other fears suddenly seem really unimportant. So let's look together at Psalm 34 and how it dislodges a few of these fears. First of all, fearing the Lord can deliver me from the fear of being unseen. Fearing the Lord can deliver me from the fear of being unseen. Uh, as a kid, I grew up playing baseball, but I also grew up with my grandparents. From the age of two on, uh, I grew up with grandma and grandpa. But when it came to baseball, and especially my games, I remember as a little boy just wanting my dad to show up. If he'd tell me that he was going to be there, that almost made it worse because I would be distracted in the field, looking around for him. If I was getting ready to go up to bat, before I got up to the plate, I was looking over to where our family kind of was, wondering if he had arrived yet. I distinctly remember him coming to two different games, but sadly, he didn't come to most. I wanted my dad to see me hit the ball as a little boy. It didn't matter who else was there. I wanted him to see me. We long to be seen. And like your family, my family also has a handful of videos that you probably rewatch from time to time. One of these videos at our house, especially right now, is of uh, our son, that, <laughs> our son Riken, learning how to ride uh, his first bike. And uh, we got him one of those Strider bikes. It's one of those low to the ground bikes without the pedals, like the kind of bike that you wish you would have had to learn on as a kid. I, when I saw that, I was like, we're buying that. I wish I could ride that, but I can't. No pedals, they're just striding along and they're just zipping along. Well, as soon as he figured out how to master that, uh, we have this captured on video. I'm filming it on probably a phone. And he keeps saying, I gotta tell mom this. And I would say, how does that feel, buddy? He'd say, it feels good. I gotta tell mom this, I gotta tell mom this. And so he just keeps saying over and over, I gotta tell mom this, I gotta tell mom this. And so now randomly throughout our house, some kid might just randomly say, I gotta tell mom this. <laughs> and so obviously what's happened here in this moment is that he has mastered the strider. And even though I'm there, by the way, I am dad, but mom <laughs> needs to see this. Obviously, what's going on in his mind is that he has just mastered something new and he wants to be seen. I want to be seen by the people that matter the most to me. I want them to see me and I want them to hear me. Friends, fearing the Lord can deliver me from the fear of being unseen. Look at Psalm 34, verses 5 and 6. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Dropping down to verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. 
The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Here's what I know about humanity. We are all longing to be seen and heard. And some of us have been, and some of us have not been. And some of us are, are afraid even right now that we are being overlooked. And Psalm 34 says to us today, hey, I have good news for you. Those who fear God are seen and heard. Who do you want to see you? Your spouse, your husband, your wife, your boss, your mom or dad, coworkers. Maybe it's your competition. Maybe if the competition noticed Friends, we enter into the world hardwired by the creator, created to connect. And until we connect with God, we are scrambling to be seen. As a little boy, I just wanted my dad to see me hit the ball. But when I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in high school, I entered into an eternal relationship with my heavenly father. And now he cannot unsee me. He cannot unsee you if you are in Christ. That's good news. His promise to us, if we will fear him and pursue his ways, is that our fears of being unseen get mitigated when we fear him. When we respond to God, our fears of being unseen, unheard, are mitigated. Secondly, fearing the Lord can deliver me from the fear of scarcity. Will I have enough? When you're young and vibrant, you're not really concerned about retirement or the end game. But as we age or as our productivity wanes or slows down, we start looking at the reality of not working forever, not living forever. We're confronted with our own limitations. And when we're confronted with our own limits, we begin to ask the deeper questions. And those questions bump up against our fear of scarcity. We shift from asking, what do I want? To asking, will I have enough? Will I have what I need? How will we help our kids pay for college? Can we maintain this house? Will the 401k actually push us through to the end? What if we encounter medical bills? Will we be able to afford the medical bills and the medical treatments that we need? What will the economy be like? And on and on and on. Friends, Psalm 34, verses 8, and 8 through 10. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who fear him have no lack. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 34 wants to displace your fear of scarcity this morning. When I was in Africa, I took 17 college students to Africa for 14 days. Maybe a bad idea as well. Uh, I was like 26, I think, and uh, we went to Africa on this mission trip. It was a lot of fun. We're out in the middle of nowhere, and on the last day, 
uh, we uh, were taken on a safari by the missionary that we connected with as well as a guide. And of course, everybody wanted to see a lion. We saw lots of awesome stuff. Uh, but again, remember, back to the cliff idea, I didn't really need to see a lion, okay? I got 17 college students out in the middle of nowhere Africa that I would like to get back to California. And for a good 10 to 20 minutes, what happened was this. We pull up onto this hill and the guide is like, hey, be really quiet. Get out and go look over this hill. Sounds like a bad idea if you're looking for a lion to me. But of course, everybody's out. We're looking for a lion. Everybody wants to see a lion, right? So we stand there and we look for a good 10 to 15 to 20 minutes at a rock that he knew was a rock, but that also looked like a lion. And it was a long ways away. But everybody was captivated by this rock because it could have been a lion. And so the idea that it might have been a lion halted us and our entire crew. Here in these verses, David tells us that the lions will go and want, but the Lord will take care of his people. Listen to John Calvin. God provides everything necessary for his people and relieves their wants, while the lions, which surpass in ferocity all the wild beasts of the earth, prowl about in a famishing condition for their prey. What God says then is that sooner shall the lion perish with hunger and want than God will disappoint of their necessary food the righteous and sincere who, content with his blessing alone, seek their food only from his hand. This is not an empty promise of affluence or riches. This is a promise of God's responsible care for you if you can respond to him. It doesn't mean that life will always be easy or that you won't go through some suffering. But in the end, this psalm is promising the people of God that they will have no lack. Fearing the Lord can deliver you from the fear of scarcity. If you are a Christian, you lack nothing. And you won't lack anything that you ever need. God will provide for you. This psalm says, he will make a way. You don't have to fret if you're going to have enough. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So friends, you don't have to worry if something might go wrong. Some things might go wrong. Most things won't go wrong. But either way, the Lord is going to give you what you need when you need it. So don't hoard what the Lord has given you. Be generous. He will provide. If he has given you more than most, let me encourage you to build a bigger table, not a taller fence. And if you've always just gotten by, 
The Lord will keep getting you by. Fearing the Lord can deliver us from our fears of scarcity. Lastly, fearing the Lord can deliver me from the fear of adversity. Verses 19 through 22. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. As we gathered two weeks ago with the seniors in high school that uh, have been a part of the Cormdale Church student ministry, I exhorted them to be courageous because being a Christian is no neutral thing. It never has been a neutral thing, but there have been some seasons in history where things were easier or maybe more favorable, but those times have shifted and they have lived through it. And I was mentioning to them that the university setting, if that is where they're headed, will not be friendly or fond of Christian virtue. So I was encouraging them that to have Christian courage and virtue will be worth it. The good life is not the life of cultural confusion or canceling or having a cause to fight your neighbor with. The good life of Christian virtue will be met with adversity. And verse 19 says that I will have many afflictions. So I should expect some. It won't always be easy. But also verse 19 promises that the Lord will deliver him out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. All. A righteous person's suffering and adversity may be extreme, but God will never take it lightly and he never loses control. Adversity shows up in different forms. For as long as I've been a Christian and week after week, I sit with people who are dealing with all sorts of harassment in their life. So many calamities, so many trials. Maybe your family thinks that you're off your rocker for being all in with the way of the gospel. Maybe your coworkers mock you for being a Christian. Maybe certain coworkers have made it their agenda to make your life difficult. Maybe you don't get invited to happy hour. Or maybe you get made fun of at happy hour because you've chosen a different lifestyle. Maybe you honor women. Maybe you honor men. And that's odd with your neighbors. Maybe your adversity is even more pronounced, like cancer or a five-year fever. Maybe your adversity is being fired because of compatibility when compatibility really just comes down to being a Christian with some convictions. Maybe when you pursue righteousness, it feels lonely. Look at verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongue from all evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's pretty unpopular. That can bring its own type of adversity. Speaking truthfully with honor instead of deceit or gossip or slander. That can bring its own type of loneliness or adversity, can't it? Turning away from evil to do good, seeking peace, that gets met with adversity. God's promises aren't that we won't have adversity. His promise is that he sees 
He hears and will deliver the righteous out of adversity. So people of God, the people of God are always preserved through adversity. Fear can displace fear. Whatever is most important is the thing that will rule us. That's why it must be the fear of the Lord. When we fear the Lord, everything else topples down. The fear of the Lord is the pathway to the life that you want. And what really makes us fear God is when we see his mercy to us in Jesus Christ, isn't it? God is holy, he's sovereign, he's glorious, he's high, he's exalted. But at the same time, he's also come to us in humility and gentleness. The lion demands our attention, but the lion has become the lamb. The God worthy of fear and worship has become a humble child. And if you've ever held a newborn baby, your baby or a friend's baby, that kind of awe-inspiring fear, that kind of beauty creates this sense of wonder of who God is. Often when I hold someone's baby, I'm just struck by how awesome God really is. And God is awe-inspiring. He's personable. He's relational. And he comes to us to displace our fear. Jesus lives the life that we couldn't live. He dies the death that we deserve to die. And then he promises to take us up and raise us up in glory. Psalm 34, verses 19 through 20. Did you catch this? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. He keeps all his bones. John reminds us of this important detail in his account of the cross. John 19. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath day was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Friends, that's your savior. That's Jesus. Not one of his bones is broken. And in that, he takes on all of our adversity, all of our fear, all of our sin, so that we can be counted among the righteous. Because of what God has done for us in the person and work of Christ, fearing the Lord can deliver us from fear. In Christ, we are seen. In Christ, we have what we need and we will have what we need. And in Christ, we can face adversity with courage. Would you pray into these realities with me? Father, this psalm reminds us of your greatness 
and glory. And at the same time, it reminds us of your personal and relational connection to your people, the things you promise your people. We rejoice today, together, in this room, here, that because of what Christ has done for us, we can be seen. The promises of you providing for us, the promises of you seeing us, and even seeing us through our challenges. And we join today together to taste and to see that you are good yet again. And God, I wanna pray even now for those who are tasting and seeing that you are good for the first time. We pray that you would do a work in their life, that they would see your goodness, they would see your glory, that they would respond to you and give you the glory that is due to your name. Pray that you would meet them. And God, we ask two things. As you continue to draw them to repentance, we also pray that we would be challenged and also comforted by the profound beauty in this psalm. Those who look to you are radiant. We look to you now and we respond to your radiance. Make these things true in our life. Take Psalm 34 and knead it into our souls when we face fear in your name. Amen.